Well, it's a blessing and a privilege to be here today. I pray that you keep Pastor Lamar and, and Lynn in your prayers as they're traveling and, and they're visiting their family. I'm so happy for him that he's able to do this. So I want to take just a little liberty today if I can. And I'm going to just read a list and see if you see a pattern of what I'm talking about. Because what's been on my heart as preparing this lesson and the Lord preparing this lesson within me. It's going to be made known here today. So, Mrs. Letts, kindergarten. And I remember very distinctly she had those glasses that would go and point. You know what those are? Mrs. Letts. And in my day, we used to take the picture with the teacher right there and the class and the whole class right there. So Mrs. Letts, Mrs. Aikens, American government, okay. Mr. Labor, Mr. Labor, algebra, not that I loved algebra, but I love Mr. Labor. <laughs> Mr. Felix, band, Mr. Felix, band, and Mr. Salazar, drummer, drama, and Lucris, professor. Now, I think you see a pattern in what I'm talking about here today. Each one of those were teachers, teachers in my life that made a strong impact within my life. And at the time, I didn't get it. I just want to be honest with you. Miss Aiken, God bless her. She was hard. And it wasn't until years passed after that I understand what she was doing. Today, we're going to be talking about the best teacher, the best teacher ever. But I was just reminded with this lesson that these people here made an impact. So I want to take a little liberty today, and I would, I would ask from this list for some people to stand if I can. Anyone who's been a school teacher of any age, at any time or present, can you stand? Okay. Amen. But stay, stay standing and let's see if we can do the applause at the end. Homeschool teachers. Homeschool teachers. Okay. Band teachers or chorus teachers. Sunday school teachers. I see a few people will lift up there. Awana teachers. Okay. I just want to say. Thank you. Thank you so very much. And now we clap. I really mean that in sincerity of my heart. I, I now have the privilege to pick up my, my grandson at, at school. And no matter what the weather is, it could be blowing like crazy. Each teacher, the teachers are there to, to, to escort the child into the car. And I would say, wow. It's not even that. It's the emails that, that we partnership with the teacher hand in hand. So my heart sincerely goes out to teachers. A teacher is a person who helps students learn. I love that. And with that, at the beginning of the year, they have a lesson plan. And with this lesson plan, they mark out certain periods of checkpoints in their lesson plan for when they're going to apply a test 
Now, that was not my favorite thing in school. I don't know about you. But with that test, it gave that student to an opportunity and revealed to that student an opportunity what they were learning. It also gave the teacher an opportunity on how they needed to adjust in order to teach uh, that student. Well, today, I'd like us to see if we can look at four students. Four students who tried to get out of a test. Now, I know nobody here in their career tried to get out of a test, right? Nobody? Felt a little sick the day before, you know, just like a little cough, you know, just so they wanted a little bit more time to prepare for the test. That was the next day. Nobody here? Okay, amen. There's a true one there. <laughs> I know I did because I just now had prepared the night before. Well, we're going to talk about four college students. And four college students had a final exam that day, the next day. But guess what they did? They went out. They didn't think anything about preparing for that test. And on the next morning, they started panicking with fear. Like, oh, no, this is not just a test. This is a final exam. If I blow this, I'm going to blow everything. So they devised a plan together. And what they did was they put grease and they put dirt all in their hair and on their clothes. And they went to the dean's office. And this is what they told them. Dean, I'm so sorry. We missed the test today. All right. You know what happened? We were invited to a wedding, and this, and this wedding was our best friend. Well, you don't know this guy, but he's our best friend, and we were the groomsmen for that. You know, and on our way back, earnestly, we left early and everything, and on the way back, our car blew a flat. And we, we had to push that car all the way back to campus. We even had to go up this hill and push this car. And they got there right after the test is finished. Isn't that a coincidence? <laughs> and the dean just sat there and just listened to everything that they had to say. And after they finished talking, he said, okay, I'm going to give you another opportunity to take the test. Okay? Three days. We're going to arrange for you to take the test. And those boys went out, and they were like, we got it now. So you know something? Those kids studied as much as they possibly could. They studied more than any, any time they ever studied. They didn't even take breaks. They only took breaks to drink and go to bed. Drink liquids and go to bed. <laughs> Y'all hear what I'm saying? <laughs> Water. Okay. And then they got up. After that third day, and they marched into the dean's office. They were confident that they knew that test, what it could be left and right and back and forward. And the dean said, okay, glad to see you. Okay, I want you to see if you can put all your things in a locker here, and I want to separate you guys into four different rooms because we don't have any professors to look over you. So they put everything in a locker. And once they put everything in the office, he escorted them to four separate rooms and examined them, and a pen was right there on the table. And as they walked into the classrooms, they saw that the test only had two questions. The first question, you know where I'm going, right? 
The first question was worth one point. And the second question was worth 99 points. The first question, what is your name? The second question, which tire blew the flat? Hmm. Now, I call this the test within the test. Because what the dean was, what the dean did, he wanted to grow them in their understanding of who they were. He wanted to grow their character. And with that, they had an opportunity to respond. Now today, we're not gonna be talking about these four students and how they responded to the, the test of character. Well, we're, we're gonna be talking about scripture, okay? Today in our time together, we will be looking at how the disciples when their faith was tested, how they responded. And the lesson of this day is the sufficiency of the presence of Jesus. So we're going to be in the Gospel of Mark. But before we get to that scripture, I think it's important for us to look at some of the context in the, in the background of the Gospel of Mark. And the first thing in the first verse, the writer Mark makes a bold declarative statement, and that statement is the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He just puts it on the table. The beginning of the gospel, the beginning, I love that, about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. How comforting that would have been for the people who lived in those times those people who had possibly witnessed the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and possibly the resurrection of Jesus, and receiving a letter being orally read to them, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's also comforting to us that we have our living word, that we can look at that and knowing that he sets the pace. We are talking about Jesus Christ. And who is he? The Son of God. So there are several turning points in the Gospel of Mark, and I would like to address a couple of them. The first turning point is in Mark 8, verse 47, 27. And Jesus turns his ministry from the people with miracles and pouring into them, and he turns it to the world. He turns it to a direct path to the cross. And he spends a lot more time with his disciples pouring into them, preparing them in order to further the word of God to them. And in that, he asked them two very important questions. And these questions are so profound. The first question is, he said, who do the people say that I am? That's a great question. And the second question he asked them, who do you say 
that I am. When you're going around to your day-to-day, who do people say that Jesus is? When you're having your conversations at work or in the supermarket and as you go through life, who do people say that Jesus is? And most importantly, who do you say that Jesus is? How you answer that determines what you believe, what you trust, and your eternal destiny. The second turning point in the Gospel of Mark is chapter 10, verse 45. And you see a reoccurring theme going on in the Gospel of Mark. And that is his disciples are arguing. They're arguing about who is the greatest. And and James and John is taking it another step. They're asking that in Jesus' glory to sit at his right and his left. And then they find out about it. They are not interested in anything else. And so they argue amongst themselves. And then Jesus redirects them to his death and his resurrection on the cross. He said, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That had to soak in into the disciples. That has to soak in to us. That Jesus tells us his overall theme in the Gospel of Mark that he came to purchase our life with the very precious blood of him so that he may die as a substitute for my life and for your life. Think about Jesus came to serve you, to give his life for you and for us. That's a beautiful truth in the scripture. So let's turn our word to Mark 4, verse 35 to 41, and let's get into the scripture. On that day, That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on the cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, listen to this, why are you so afraid? Do you still have 
no faith. They were terrified. And they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. The big ideal in the scripture today is the disciples' faith was tested. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your loving grace. Lord, we thank you for you. Lord, we thank you for your love. Lord, reveal these scriptures to us in a way that is clear. Make it known to us your mightiness, your steadfastness, your unmoving character and power. Father, speak through me in a way that I'm not capable. And we love you. In the heavenly name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So let's start with Mark 4, 35, 36. And the first point, the disciples obeyed Jesus' command. That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. That day when evening came. Well, what happened on that day? What happened on that day was Jesus was teaching all day long. And Mark 4 verse 1 tells us, again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. And the crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. Jesus had a floating classroom. And there in the storm, in the, in the stern, he was, he was teaching them in that stir, in that, in that boat. In Mark 4.34, although he was teaching those, he was teaching them in parables. And he said, he who has an ear, let him hear. But he told his disciples, I will make you fishers of men. So in verse 34, he said, he did not say anything to them without, about using a parable. But catch this, when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything. So you have the crowd here. You have the disciples here. And he was explaining everything that he was saying in parables. And he starts off in, in verse 1 by saying, listen. And the word here is repeated at least 13 times in that scripture. He was teaching them, the greatest teacher of all times. But then he, he said, I'm going to explain everything to you. That's very important to him because when he called the disciples, he said, I will make you fishers of men. So point one, the disciples obeyed Jesus' command. The disciples left the shore away from the crowd with them being just in a boat. Now, Jesus said, let us go over to the other side. Please note that Jesus said, let us go. And we're going to get to that point later. I believe it's very interesting to note that Mark said, 
that there were other boats with them. And I see that as eyewitnesses. Point number two, the disciples faced a crisis of their faith. Point number two, the disciples faced a crisis of their faith. A fierce squall came up. It's just suddenly a fierce squall came up and the waves broke over the boat that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? That's an interesting thing to say. Don't you care if we drown? The disciples were focused on the circumstance. I would dare say, so would have I been. But they were not focused on who was in the boat uh, with them. But he said, let's go over to the other side. The disciples, three things arose with them. And the first thing that arose with them was fear. They were panicking. They were afraid. The boat was filling full of water, and it was sinking. Four of them were fishermen. They had seen storms before, but this was a storm like no other storm that they would panic in that. But then that fear and on your sheet led to doubt. Now, I want to just camp there just a little bit. Doubt. The disciples doubted the goodness of Jesus. Don't you care if we drown? What they're saying is, how could you be sleeping in this terrible storm that we, the disciples, are going through? How could you not be panicking, panicking along with us? I understand that. Why and how could you possibly be asleep? So they doubted the goodness of God and then peace. The scriptures revealed that the disciples were looking at Jesus and something that they missed, but maybe that's what they already thought, the humanness of Jesus. The scriptures bear it out, bears out the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the man of Jesus Christ in that boat. He had been teaching all day long, and guess what? He was tired. And I love that the scriptures bear that out, that he was tired and that he fell asleep. But what about us? What are we focused on when a furious squall comes up into our lives and we cry out to God, God, don't you care, dot, dot, dot. We can fill in the dot, dot, dots with a lot of things. God, don't you care if my child is in rebellion? God, don't you care if I have an aging parent and I don't know how to handle it? God, don't you care that I'm struggling with, with a habitual sin and I don't know how to break free from it? God, don't you care that my health and my mind is failing? God, don't you care that I'm struggling in my marriage? God, don't you care that I'm being bullied at school? God, don't you care that I'm being persuaded to fit in at school and at my job, God, don't you care? Have you ever done that? I have. Not using those words, but God, don't you care? Because the next thing, doubting the goodness of God, I start, think, I start putting myself under a metric system, under a, a law, I'll put it that way. God, I, I've been reading my Bible. I've been going to church 
I, I, I even meet with someone. I mean, I'm doing the things that you've called me to do. Why are these things happening in my life? God, don't you care? The premise of the question is wrong. What the disciples are asking him. And when we have asked him, the premise is wrong. It is because he does care that he allows us to go through these things. Observing that text, do you see three things? That Jesus was not in fear. He was asleep. Jesus was not in doubt. He was asleep. And Jesus did not lose his peace. His peace was there. And I look at that, and that's a beautiful picture. No fear, no doubt, and peace. How about you? How about us? What are you fearing in the midst of this storm right now? Are you doubting the goodness of God when something suddenly comes into our lives? I love the scripture when Jesus is teaching in Matthew and he tells his disciples, take my yoke upon you. So let's move to our third point. Jesus is now awake. The disciples have awakened him. Jesus demonstrated his dominion over the wind and the waves. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. You notice that Jesus did not respond to the disciples' question about their degree of care for him. Jesus stands up in the midst of a violent storm, and then he first speaks to the wind and to the waves, quiet, be still. What that means is he's telling it, be muzzled, stop it. And the wind obeys, and the waves obey. But this is a but God moment. Because if the wind would stop, and it did, guess what would happen to the waves? They will continually go back and forward, back and forward, until they eventually died out. But that's not what happened. This is a miracle. And the disciples are there, the witnesses. Witnesses, the other people in the boat are there to witness this. When he said, when, quiet. When he said, waves, be still. Whew. Immediately, you could look at your face and see a reflection off that. What Jesus demonstrated with his dominion over the wind and the waves that he is God. I think that's beautiful. The other scripture demonstrated that he is man. He was sleeping. Here it says he commanded and they stopped. Now I know this does not always happen in our family, does it? Or with my grown children, I can tell them quiet and be still. And guess what? They are not completely calm. <laughs> 
But it does with Jesus. It does with Jesus. Jesus demonstrated that he is God. And what else he did was he didn't call on anybody else in order to stop the wind and the waves. He didn't say in the name of what Jesus said, quiet, be still. And they obeyed. He demonstrated that power. How? Why? Because he is power. Jesus is love. Jesus is peace. Jesus is just. He didn't borrow it from anyone. That is the essence of who he is. And I think about this. Jesus healed in so many different kind of ways, didn't he? He spit on the eyes for some. He put his hand on some. But not with this. Jesus could have stopped it in so many different kind of ways. But that is not what he did. He spoke. And that should give us an indication of the strength of God's voice and God's word. That he can speak to the wind and speak to the waves and it does obey. So when we're reading his, his living word, the Bible, every other book is dead. The Bible is the only, only thing that is living and active. And it's the word of God. Gives me a lot of comfort, and I pray that it gives you a lot of comfort, you know, the sufficiency of the presence of Jesus. He speaks to the wind, and he speaks to the waves, and they obey him. When Jesus says in his word that I have overcome the world, we can believe that because that is his word. When Jesus said, I came to seek and to save the lost, we can bank on that because that is what he said. The disciples' faith is tested. Point number four, Jesus questioned his disciples about their faith. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Jesus and Jesus alone has a right to ask us that question about our faith. Jesus turns around in a boat from the wind and the waves and he turns to his disciples and gently and lovingly, I would say, he asked them two questions. Why are you so, so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Jesus was teaching them an object lesson. And that object lesson is a practical example. And they were in the classroom witnessing it. And the reason he could ask them that, because he wants to see how they're going to answer the question for themselves now. It's a lesson on faith. The lesson being Jesus himself in the midst of an uncontrollable storm stopped the wind and stopped the waves while they were panicking in fear. He spoke to the uncontrollable wind and the waves and they obey him. They don't answer the question. 
verbally. But Jesus is wanting them to answer that question eternally with the object lesson they just witnessed. Applying it. You see, faith, it's not a virtue. It's not something of moral excellence. It is a gift of God. Wow. You've heard Pastor Lamar say he gives us that faith in order to believe. And he's asking, what happened to it? He's the author and the protector for perfecter, which means he is the finisher of our faith. And that's exactly what he's doing with the disciples. He is, is teaching them and perfecting their faith on that day in the boat. The question that we need to ask ourselves is, where are we placing the object of our faith? When the overwhelming storms come up suddenly in our lives, are they focused on the circumstance? I know I'm guilty. Are, are they focused on the person who can say stop to the wind and stop to the waves? Jesus is teaching them and telling them, why are you so afraid? The amplified version is, do you still have no faith and confidence in me? That's convicting, isn't it? Jesus is teaching them and telling them, let us go over to the other side. You were never going to sink. I am in the boat with you. Let us go over to the other side. And look at this. We have so much a better agreement, I'll put it that way, than the disciples did. Because in John 14, Jesus said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Hebrews says the same thing. We are never left unattended for those who believe in our Lord Jesus Christ through the presence of the Holy Spirit on this finished work on the cross. He will never leave you. I find that as being great hope. Great hope. Let me illustrate with a scripture. Faith is being fully persuaded that Jesus is who he says he is. In Romans 4, 20, 21, Abraham, Paul is speaking about Abraham, and Abraham has been given a promise, and that promise is he will be the father of many nations. Now, when God made this promise to Abraham, Abraham was 99 years old, and Sarah was 75 years old. And when God made this promise to him, it says in, in, in 420, he said, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. Verse 21, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. You see, Abraham believed in the promise of God. But it wasn't really about the promise. 
It was about who made the promise. And that was God. Because God said it. God was going to make it happen. So the object of Abraham's faith was on God. Not so much the promise. That's what Jesus was teaching his disciples. And that's what he's teaching us today. Place your faith upon me. Point number five. The disciples were filled with awe of Jesus. They were terrified. And they asked each other. Good question. Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. We know they got part of the lesson on how they responded to each other. Now, something very interesting to me is, and your scriptures will say terrified. It will say more afraid. Now, catch this. They were more afraid in the calmness the storm had gone than they were in the storm going crazy. Why? Because I believe some of this lesson was seeping into the disciples. They saw the object lesson of Jesus who could calm the sea and calm the waves and they go, whoa, he's uncontrollable. He is power. They were more afraid in the calm than they were in the storm. But what the original language said, they had reverent fear for him. And that's awe. They were in awe of what they saw. They were in awe in what they experienced. And I ask us the question, (coughs) how is our awe for God? How is our awe for God? We live in such a desensitized society. In the world, the CGI that we see all these movies and all these kind of things that can can simulate things, that we hear miracles in the Bible, and we just get watered down and desensitized by it, don't we? But how is our awe for God? I can tell you the disciples had awe that day of God. But just like them and just like us, it faded with the disciples later on. Because this one lesson of having the the sufficiency of Jesus' presence ends up fading, doesn't it? Things get okay. The storm is calm. And everything's okay. Let me get back to life as usual. I believe we lose our awe there. Let me summarize with this and leave you with an illustration and then an invitation to trust God. Jesus is the greatest teacher of all times. Yet he's more than a teacher. He is a God man. Jesus had an ultimate lesson plan in the gospel of Mark. And with that lesson plan, just like I said in the beginning, he pulled out a test there, a trial to deepen the faith of the disciples there. 
and have them rely on the sufficiency and the presence of Jesus, no matter what the storm. This was one lesson to teach and to deepen their faith upon who is truly able to take them through the storm, no matter the outcome, no matter the outcome. So let me close with this illustration and then we'll have a time of response here. There was a type rope walker who did an incredible aerial feat all over Paris. He would do tightrope acts at tremendously scary heights. Then he had succeeding acts. He would do blindfolded. He would go across the tightrope blindfolded, pushing a wheelbarrow. An American promoter read about this in the papers and wrote a letter to the tightrope walker saying, Mr. Tightrope Walker, I don't believe you. I don't believe that you can do it, but I'm willing to make you an offer for a very substantial amount of money, and I'll cover all your transportation. I would like to challenge you. He wanted to throw down. And I want you to do this over Niagara Falls. Now, Mr. Tightrope Walker wrote back, Sir, although I've never been to America and seen the falls, I'd love to come. Well, after a lot of promotion and setting the whole thing up, many people came to see the event. Mr. Type Rope person was to start on the Canadian side and come to the American side. The, the drum beat rolled, and, and, and he came across the rope, which was suspended over a treacherous part of the falls, blindfolded. And, it, and he made it across easily. The crowd goes wild, and when he comes to the, mo to the promoter and says, Mr. Promoter, now do you believe that I can do it? Well, of course I do. I mean, I just saw you do it. No, no, said Mr. Typro Purse. Do you really believe that I can do it? Well, of course I do. You just did it. No, 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 said Mr. Typro. Do you believe that I can do it? Yes, Mr. Promoter. I believe that you can do it. Good, said Mr. Typro. I want you to get into the wheelbarrow. The word believe means to be persuaded or to live by or to trust. This is a nice story and all illustrations kind of break down. But how often do you say that Christ can do it, but you refuse to get into the wheelbarrow? Think about that question. John 3.16 for God so loved the world, we all know that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have ever eternal life. That is good news, isn't it? What this scripture is saying is if you believe in me, I will forgive all of your sins. I will place them upon myself and I will die with your sin in place of you so that you can live and have eternal life. You will not perish. You will not be eternally separated from the word of God. But as much as that is good news, there is bad news news in that scripture 
And that bad news is that for those who will not believe, will not get into the wheelbarrow, when they die, they will eternally be separated from his presence. Now, believers and unbelievers are now enjoying his presence. It rains on all of us. It snows on all of us. The sun rises each day on all of us. But there will come a time. It's appointed to man to die. And if we've not made that decision to believe in him, place our trust upon him, that eternal presence will be separated from him. So I pray that you can take that silly story and think about that and take this moment to respond to him. Those online and those are here. Let this day be the day that you say yes to Jesus. And church family, Jesus used these storms to teach us to trust in him no matter what circumstance, no matter what suddenly comes our way, when it's going really crazy all around us, to not doubt the goodness of Jesus, but to place the object of your faith upon him. And he will get you through to that other side. Guarantee you. Let's rely on the sufficiency and the presence of Jesus in the classroom of our life. But with Jesus with us. So I'd like to pray. And I'd like some friends to come up. And I'll meet you out in front for an opportunity to respond. If you've never trusted him, and an opportunity to respond. If you just want to just pray and say, Greg, I've been in a storm and I did doubt the goodness of Jesus. Let's just pray together. So let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you for your love and your grace. Lord, we thank you that you will not be shaken. Thank you that you're always there, Father God. Lord, if there's someone here today that does not know you as their Savior and trust you to be the leader of their life, I pray today is the day that they will walk this aisle or online and say yes to you. I am willing. In your name we pray. Amen.